Welcome back to Meaning in Code. I am your co-host, Lily, and I am here with my co-host, Bennett. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, Lily. How's it going? Good. How about you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Wonderful. Today, we are talking about uh, coding careers, software engineering careers in general. Um, we've talked a bit about arcs, you know, directions you can go with them. Um, and we've gotten a, a couple of questions about what they look like in general and what happens when they end, what, mm. how, how long they are, um, what might be specific to them versus other careers. Uh, lot, lots of, lots of little things to, to kind of delve, delve into there. Yeah. I think it's interesting. We've gotten all, like, I've gotten all sorts of questions about like, is our coding career shorter than other careers? Um, do I need to like plan for when I want to leave a career? Like, am I more likely to burn out as a mm. software developer than in some other career? Um, mm. So I think Lily and I both have a little bit of experience with, like, <laughs> you know, making trajectory tra changes in our career. Um, neither of us has experience with like early retirement or getting forced out of our career or ageism or anything like that. Um, so those are pieces that we should certainly maybe touch on too today. I think so, yes. Um, but before we do, uh, I had a question for you. Uh -huh. um, so you work from home. Mm -hmm. I ha I have also spent much time working from home. Wonderful pros and cons with that with that process. Um, but one that always kind of tripped me up, or that I wanted to be uh, uh, wanted to have more options with is um what what do you eat for lunch um, do you have like a go-to a favorite easy quick lunch recipe that uh that you can do and and get to the eating part the fun part quicker and not have to do a ton of cleanup before you have to go back to work okay so uh the short answer is i don't have a, a great system for lunch either mm. it's kind of hard yeah. Um, I feel like it's probably a common struggle. Because, yeah, because like cooking a full meal in the middle of the day doesn't feel like a, Does I don't not have the energy joy. for it. And yeah. also like, I just am not, I don't know. I don't want to take that long. Um, I do sometimes get like, uh, like different packets of things that you can put over top. Like, um, mm. I have like, uh, at the grocery store, they've got like ways that you can make Thai, uh, a Thai sauce or a, uh, you know, an in, in Indian sauce or something like mm. that, like a, a matar paneer or something like that that you can pour over rice. Mm. Um, so I get those sometimes. Um, I we keep like frozen bread and bagels in the in the freezer. So like pull one of those out, toast it up, and throw a you know an egg on top or something like that, you know, or not bad. Whatever. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, burritos. Often oh. Burritos make my list. Because um, it's just like pull out a tortilla, heat up some beans, you know, like whatever vegetables you've got around that sound good on a burrito. Throw it <laughs> in. So I, I don't know. You're making me think of like all the, what am I going <laughs> to have for lunch today? Who knows? <laughs> you know, it does kind of feel like that. You get to like 12 and then you're like, uh, what's in the, what is in the pantry in the yeah. fridge? Yeah. 
What have I done? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's my life? What are my choices? Yeah, um, exactly. What yes. about you? Do you have any go-to lunch? I, I have, I have two, um, but it definitely, like. I don't know. They're not necessarily sustainable is the mm. issue. Like sustainable to keep eating. So my, my go-to for forever, the simplest meal that one can possibly make. Um, but also it's a very simple meal. So like it does not necessarily hit all of the nutritional requirements. Um, but my go-to for years has been uh, baking a potato in the microwave. Mm. So you like stab the potato, you put it in the microwave for like three and a half minutes, flip it over three and a half minutes. And then I will cut it in half and I'll put like cheddar cheese to get melty on it. And mm-hmm. then I'll do sriracha sauce on top. Oh. Uh, yeah. Load that baby with sour cream and then just cut up one scallion for, you know, gar- garnish. Oh, uh, little, little green. Get a little like, get a little green on there. It's a vegetable, right? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Sure. Um, no, 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 I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and then just put that on top. And that is is close enough to a meal. <laughs> Yeah, loaded baked potato. That's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Um, and yeah, even my <laughs> my roommate got very excited uh, when she discovered that you can you don't even need to chop a scallion. You can just take scissors and cut it onto the potato. Should you so wish um, to like truly have no uh, cleanup the, to the do. express. The express version of this. Yes, like, exactly, exactly. Because mm-hmm. it's really, it's the cleanup that gets me, I will say. Lunch cleanup is, is especially rough because then yeah. you're like, I gotta, I gotta get back and then I gotta clean. It's like I'm all spending, sorts of stuff. Yeah. yeah, like this is what I'm spending my break doing is cleaning more dishes. Right. Yeah, my lunch break, I thought life. I was going to take a walk or like, you know, <laughs> do something fun, but no. No. Instead yeah. Of, yeah. I'm doing this. But yes, so baked potato is my go-to, but occasionally it's just like, I have to stop eating potato. Uh, <laughs> sad, sad, sadly, it's my favorite food. But there is also a um, a way to make just um, like packaged ramen mm. that um, that my roommate taught me. I, I, I like ignored the trend for so long because there wasn't gluten-free ramen. Oh. So, and I have, a, I have a gluten allergy. I don't know if I've said that on the podcast before. Um, but, uh, so it was just like really sad. It just was really sad what I was, what I was missing. And I, I actually used to love ramen so much. I will get off this tangent as soon, I promise. Uh, but when I was a kid, the only thing that I would not refuse to eat for breakfast was a bowl of ramen. You ate ramen for breakfast. Yeah. I love that. It was great. Yeah, um, great. But yeah, so I used to love ramen and then I couldn't have it. Um, but now they make gluten-free ramen and it's ramen. So do you put it in the flavor Decent. pack and then like, do you make a soft boiled egg or something? There's or some... a whole, there's a whole system. Like genuinely, I also, I don't have a TikTok, but my roommate does. And like genuinely, I, it has improved my life so greatly. Um, it's like a whole thing of you are like boiling the water and then you have a bowl over here. You pour the packet in, you pour QP mayo. It's a brand of mayo. that's like mm-hmm. a specific type of mayo. I also do, um, I throw like sesame oil and, um, peanut butter. That was the word that was escaping me and some chili oil and also a chopped up scallion. You like throw all that in there and then you boil the, um, the noodles and you crack i crack too just because i like i like eggs um but you crack the eggs on top of the the ramen so they don't get all the way down so they they soft boil and then you mix all of that together 
and oh you crack an egg in the slurry as well um so that it gets really like the, the broth gets really oh, thick. Oh, it thickens up. Wow. Yeah. But you're only using one bowl and the pot to cook the noodles. And you pour the noodles and the, the broth into the pot that you were just, or the bowl that you were just mixing all that up in. So again, very minimal cleanup. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And all then, right. Yeah. You just wash the pot <laughs> yes. in the bowl. Yeah. yeah. And it's delicious. Yes. Thank you for going on this tangent with me. I was, I was really. Wow, you it's had been, better answers than I did because I just I just said some <laughs> random things, but yeah, you had, you had better answers than me. Well, I've thought about it a lot. It's really um, it fr- it frustrates me. <laughs> I've I've like spent more time thinking about it than I would like to. Yeah, lunch is so frustrating. Lunch is really just it, it's just ripe for struggle. <laughs> needs innovation lunch innovation. it really does yeah. yes and that's i think what tiktok is really for is lunch innovation um, among other things you heard it here <laughs> first folks yeah. <laughs> yes all right thank you for indulging me um let's get into the 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 topic so are careers in software shorter than most careers why or why not what does this look like um and and what kind of what the options are there um so yeah i do you want to kind of start yeah yeah i think i want to be careful here because there are plenty of you know software developers in their 50s and 60s but i would say they're few and far between um at the moment there's a couple reasons for that though one is that you know they've left and now they're They've moved up, and now they're like executives and stuff like that. Um, another, they might have been forced out, you know, like some combination of ageism. Um, there's the chance that they're now like off, you know, consulting or doing something on their own. Mm-hmm. But there's also the very real like sampling problem of the fact that if you are in your 50s and 60s and you're a software developer and you've been a software developer for your whole career, that means that you started developing software back in, uh, I don't know how long, 30 years ago, um, means you were, you know, in the 80s and 90s when you started your software development career. Now, I'm not saying there weren't programmers back then, but there were a lot fewer programmers back then. So it makes sense that there are a lot fewer mm. programmers in their 50s and 60s right now. So some of it's a sampling error. Some of it, mm. it may be ageism or, you know, moving up and, and working as a... So it, see, it looks like careers in software development are really short. I would say too soon to tell. Mm. Yeah, that's um, really interesting. That like... The, the earlier generations, they're just, the, the, the job is almost new. Yeah, the, the job's cr- pretty the new, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. We didn't have computers before, really before World War II. Um, we didn't use them for, you know, business until, you know, mid-century at the earliest. And then, you know, started picking up in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, uh, the internet hasn't existed since, you know, the the late nineties. So like, yeah. yeah, it's kind of like, Oh, all this is so new that we don't know yet. Um, so it's very possible that you could continue working as a software developer late into your career and you, you don't have to worry about that, but it's also possible that it's also very real 
that some companies do have a preference for younger programmers. Um, and I think that's a real bias that we should probably talk about. Although neither of us maybe has direct experience with it. Mm. No, but I, I think something that I've found interesting with that though, I, I remember, um, when I was teaching in my most recent teaching role, um, I had a student mention that she was really excited about, um, and also this was, this was adults and there, there were people in their fifties and sixties in those classes. Mm -hmm. Um, this particular student was younger than that. Um, but she, she was talking about how she was excited by the idea of software engineering because a lot of the gatekeeping involved in other more, um, established careers and, and fields isn't there. And what she was talking about was the idea of like, you don't need to have a, a college degree necessarily to, to be a successful software engineer. You can be very young and be able to be a software engineer. There's sort of like, like it, it tipped the scales in the other direction. And there's a lot sure. of like, there's a lot of companies that are, you know, like, we don't do hierarchy here. And it's, it's a very interesting example of the it's everything is trade-offs like we, we always come back to it but like everything is trade-offs of a younger person um has not has not like managed people for as long or maybe at all um and and in order to become like a cto of something or start you know starting their own company or something like that yeah there's and, just a certain level of emotional intelligence involved in being a good teammate too sure, much less being yeah. a manager yeah yeah 100 percent um, that, that like the trade-offs of, and it's weird. It's like, I, I don't want to say like, maybe there should be a gate here. Like, I don't, I don't, and I don't, I like, I so, so reject the idea of like, you, you should have to pay your dues. Like there's, there's gotta be a middle element of like, well, you want to, you want to be good at your job. Like you, like there's so, I guess it's, I actually, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the last episode of like to be good at your job, there's other elements involved. Like you can, mm. you can have an idea for an app and build it and scale it um, without so many of the elements of, of being a software engineer. Like if you're doing that on your own collaboration, like so many different elements that you don't have to think about. And then suddenly you have a viable product and it's making money and you need to hire people under you and relinquish that control uh, of like letting other people deal with the ambiguity. Like it's, it's a very interesting um, skip step that has a lot of pros and cons. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think when companies uh, have like a, I don't know, an age bias or like, decline to hire an older engineer mm. because of their age. Um, th they're just missing out in a lot of cases, you know, like having age, wisdom, experience, whatever you want to call it on your team is like so important and valuable uh, in ways that I don't know. Yeah. I, we don't I, necessarily value like culturally so much yeah exactly or yeah. at least not in the united states maybe uh we could yes, maybe difficult to yes. value it differently but like who's at least here we? in the united states who is we yes uh, <laughs> and and silicon valley or like just startup culture generally doesn't 
it seems to have this whole disrupt culture of like the young people coming in and disrupting the existing establishment systems. And so it's kind of just like a disdain for old, you know, existing established yeah. things. But like you miss so much when you, when you dismiss that out of hand. Yeah. And it's yeah. funny, even, even if you're looking for disruption, like there are, there are hippies who code, who've been disrupting shit for years, you know, like <laughs> they were disrupting shit before we were born, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. <laughs> I think one, okay. So to get back to the question though, of yes. like, can you have a long career in software and more so like, what does that career look like? What is the trajectory? I think one of the biggest questions that you and I have both faced is this topic of like avoiding burnout or maybe more mm. aptly like managing burnout mm -hmm. um, or being able to adjust your expectations based on uh, how things are going. Um, I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think one, oh man, it's it, the, the one thing that I think I've been talking to a couple friends about that I think gets discounted that we have definitely touched on. Um, but it's surprising to me how, I guess just surprising in the sense of like, we, this isn't always how we talk about burnout, but so many people have been feeling it in this particular way that, um, if you if you do not feel valued at work it is the burnout is so much more immediate it's so much more overwhelming because well then what are you doing this for and particularly i have a number of friends uh dealing with a am uh takeover like a, their their company was mm. sold the company that they worked out not their company um was sold and dealing with like big waves of cultural changes and, and a lot of things that are out of their control. Um, and all of them really feeling just like, I, I am, you are not paying me what I need to be paid in order to feel valued here. Like I know I could go anywhere else and make more for mm. the same amount of work. And I care about this place. So I've been staying or like for whatever, you know, for every reason that we stay in situations where maybe we should should have left already. Um, and and that is really the almost the biggest thing that is making a lot of people feel burnout. And that was also what did it for me at, at a previous job as well of like, I, I just like it, it, it feels like a betrayal of self almost to continue to care at the level that I care about this job, this company, this, like my, my manager, you know, like all of these things. Um, when, when I actively know that you are devaluing me, that you, mm. you are knowingly, you know, that I could go somewhere else and make more money. You know, that if I left, you would have to pay someone else more than you're paying me to get the value of work that you are getting from me currently. And you're just trying to exploit me anyways. Like that I, I is, is a, 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 a thing that creates burnout that I feel like we talk about a lot less than like 
work it like yes 1000 like i'm not discounting the other ones as well like work is work it is hard <laughs> it is tiring like it will often not be fun um but i think that that is is a really big one and there's also so much like guilt and shame tied up in that mm. because like engineers make so much more than so many other jobs um for 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 like good reason and also for reason that feels really inflated um and so asking for more money or feeling like you deserve more money while also being aware that like the amount we already make is kind of ridiculous there's a there's a lot of and i think this kind of is specific to software engineering and and a few other industries where like it's such a strange like math and mental gymnastics we have to do to advocate for ourselves hmm. um when you know the people the people paying your checks really don't want you to anyways um and it can particularly be really tricky with like we've talked about imposter syndrome and also ageism and sexism like all of the different isms that make you feel like well you know i'm just i feel like i'm really lucky to be here i'm really like i i have a good paycheck I shouldn't rock the boat or I shouldn't feel entitled, you know, like I, sh I don't deserve, I shouldn't feel entitled to this. Um, but then I know like for me as, as particularly as a woman, I was like, I really like, I know that I need to fight against that because I'm like setting a precedent. I was the, the first female engineer at, at this job. Like I'm setting a precedent of what other women, you know, like I, like I, I want to make sure that other women are advocating for themselves. And I, if I'm not doing that, then I'm, part of the the whole problem um yeah sorry that what what do you think <laughs> be, I, I love it i mean you made, you made a bunch of great points in there um yeah let's be clear like lily and i are both u.s centric as well and i know yes. that you know like pay for software developers is different around the world and like all sorts of things about jobs and teams and companies are different in other places so this is going to be based on our experience but like yeah the, that tightrope that you have to walk between feeling like oh i'm already paid quite a lot and then also feeling like i'm not paid enough is a very very strange piece of mental gymnastics you have mm -hmm. to do and like, what a privilege! Like, yeah, of course, what a right, privilege to right, be doing like that tightrope to right. clarify, right? Yes, <laughs> boohoo, and also, yeah, it's an important piece <laughs> of feeling valued on the team. You're right, Lily. Mm -hmm. You're right. Um, feeling valued is like one of the big, big contributors to burnout. I mean, there are others, um, including like just plain overwork, mm -hmm. or you know conflicting expectations like people want you know multiple people expect different things from you um yeah but i i feel like piece of, uh, one important piece of it is like is the value like being compensated for the value you create for the company i think you're right there um so in terms of your career trajectory <laughs> so, right in terms of the the theme of the episode <laughs> Which now we've just, but like, it's okay to burn out, right? It's, yeah. I think it's pretty, we need to say that like, it's, we don't need to normalize burnout. That's, that sounds bad. Like, right. no, it should not be normal. And, and, but it is, 
common. Yes. Um, to burnout, and it's okay if you need to take a second and recharge or like leave uh, an organization that isn't a good fit for you. And that may not be just U.S. specific, right? That's, <laughs> that's for everybody, right? Yes, one hundred percent. And I, I mean, and one of the things that is nice about engineering work in the U S at this particular moment in time is that often, uh, because you are making enough, you there's, it's, it's more likely that you would have some leeway to be able to take a, an actual break and take that time, which Bennett and I have both done <laughs> Yeah, and, and still experience burnout afterwards. Like it's not a, or I don't know. I don't want to speak for you. Have you experienced burnout since last year? Uh, I don't know if I'd call it burnout, but I have hmm. experienced like uh, maybe a malaise, low morale <laughs> at certain points. Yeah. Hmm. Um, since then, but yeah, I think it's it's totally fair to say that yeah, like it's a privilege to be able to leave your job, um, but like if you can, it's okay to do so and to think about yes. doing so. It's probably actually good to do so. Um, I know both of us like probably benefited from the move that we took, like yes. to, to leave um, bad, you know, positions. It doesn't solve burnout. Um, you no, won't come back rested and relaxed and like ready to be undervalued again. <laughs> <Something like that. laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which I guess is tricky because uh, you know. Is everyone undervalued under capitalism? <laughs> mm, mm, now we can yeah. <laughs> thus begin our four-hour podcast. <laughs> what you've all been waiting for. Um, Lily oh, goes man. full communist on this. <laughs> let me let me go get my. Uh, I don't even I don't even remember which ones are in the the logo the communist logo. But yes, my my tools. Yeah, your hammer and sickle. Um, yeah, yeah. Yes, my hammer and sickle. Yes, thank you, thank you. Yes. <laughs> oh man. But yes. So, I guess yes. It's a big figuring out. You know, like, is it possible to have longevity in your your coding career, your your engineering career? I think I I totally agree. I totally hadn't thought about what you were saying. It's too. It's genuinely too early in this career existing to tell. Um. But I, it's obviously possible because we we do see there are people uh, in their 50s and 60s, I would guess even like older than that, who are still doing some type of work, if not salaried consulting, some of the other elements that we talked about of where your career can go, um, which also not actually, I don't know if we mentioned early retirement is, is another direction that your career can go. Um, but even then, I feel like I feel like every person who retired early from a software engineering career that I know of still does some form of consulting or software engineering in their retirement, or yeah. like teaching, hmm. talking about it. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not like a huge fan of like big like long term plans. Like in 20 same. years from now, I'm gonna be doing X, Y, or Z because like how how do you know? Like you can't possibly predict what you're gonna want 20 <laughs> years from now. But I do think that it's smart to like keep in the back of your mind as a software developer like what 
your potential exit plan could be. Mm -hmm. um, it's also fun to daydream. It just kind of yeah, can it's provide fun to daydream energy to, to think about, and and maybe you'll find that your exit plan is like actually like just the plan because you know you like it so much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've mentioned a couple. There's like consulting. Um, you know, moving and taking your, you know, setting up your own shop. There's uh, early retirement, which is totally possible, especially given the salaries that you can earn as a software developer in the United States. But um, there's also other possibilities that you could totally go do something entirely different. You don't have to continue coding for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, or you could, you know, I don't know, move up into management or some other type of leadership role that uh, gets you away from coding and that has you do something completely different. Um, and all of those are like valid options, but like it comes down to personal preference and like what you think is motivating to you, is interesting, uh, won't lead to burnout, like all of those <laughs> types of things. Um, yeah, having a having an exit plan is not something you have to pressingly be thinking about every single day, but like it, it would be something that I would keep in the back of my mind. Yeah, I and if do. yeah, and if you check in with that idea every you know few weeks, few months, few few days, if you're thinking about it every few days, it might be time to to change change direction or take a pause. Um, but if you're thinking about it and and you come to the conclusion like I don't I still don't, like I don't want an exit plan right now and I don't need to think about it because I'm still like enjoying this and I can envision myself doing this in 20 years. I feel like that's your answer to the question is like can there be longevity in this career? Like if if you want it, I think you'll be able to make it. If yeah. you're doing, you know, like if if we're doing the stuff of like you're still going to be learning things you're still going to be, you know, who knows what engineering is going to look like in 20 years as a career also, I guess. Yeah, these are all very, very big questions. Uh, it certainly won't be the same, right? It will be different. If we've seen anything from like generative AI, right? It'll be like you're, you're going to be, I still believe there will be people solving problems. Yes, um, I think so as well. I agree. And figuring out how to answer questions, but like, uh, uh, will it be writing Python or JavaScript or C++ code? I'm, I'm not so sure about that. Who know. knows? Who knows in yeah. 20 years? But I guess all the more reason to hone your problem solving engineering skills, mm, uh, mm -hmm. like we were talking about last, last episode of like, that's the part that's always going to be needed. So yeah. that's good. That's the that is the real skill, right? Like coding is a tool that helps you accomplish some things, but like the real skill is how do you solve a problem with yeah. ambiguous circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. The code helps you solve the problem. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Bennett, for chatting with me about this fascinating topic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Really. I don't know if we gave anybody any more clarity about what to do in your career. I can't predict what anybody's career path is going to be, much less my, my own career mm. path. But it does, maybe it's somehow helpful to hear, like, other people are thinking about this. And it's not just you. And, like, yeah. And maybe there's some idea in here that has been helpful today. Yeah. I think so. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say I think we did a really good job at podcast podcasting today. <laughs> nice. 
sick. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, thank you all for listening. Uh, We uh, see you in the next one. Awesome. Bye.